Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman, Oklahoma. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 945 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Before we, we get into the passage again, let's just kind of set the scene of what is going on. Israel is under uh, Roman occupation, so the Roman Empire is near its height at this point, and it uh, has conquered uh, you know, most of Europe, and, and even further out than that, it is, uh, I believe, by landmass, it's the, the largest empire that had ever existed around this time. So um, Israel is particularly resistant to being occupied um, by other people. No nation loves it. Israel really hates it uh, because the Romans are pagans and their ideas about God and the way that um, they infringe upon their ability to worship God the way they think they should. Um, so the Romans collect a ton of taxes. Romans are extremely unpopular in Israel at this point. And so there's been an idea that's been there really since the beginning of the Old Testament that God's eventually going to send, uh, he's going to send someone special. And it comes into focus over time that this is going to be a Messiah, this is going to be in the line of David, and that this person is going to provide freedom for the Israelites, that he is going to be the leader and the, the person to set them free that they've always desired. And so if you're an Israelite at this particular point in time, it's easy to say, wow, obviously he, you know, this is going to be the person that kicks out the Romans. So there's a ton of anticipation about the Messiah. And it's also worth mentioning, the world is just not a great place. The Romans, to keep the, the population happy, they've got a thing, the Colosseum, and they'll literally just bring in people and like say, okay, you know, it's you versus a lion, good luck, and we're going to let a bunch of people watch and cheer, and this will keep, you know, the average um, kind of citizen happy that we do games like this, and, and they literally like feed people to lions and stuff. It was just, it was not a great place. Slavery is rampant. Um, it was not a good time to be a woman in the world. Uh, there are a lot of things about the world that are exceptionally broken. We may live, and we do live in a broken world, but whatever the brokenness we experience, it is even more so at this point in time. Okay, so that's what we're dropping into. And what has happened just before this is in chapter one, an angel has come to Mary and has said, you are gonna have a son. And Mary expresses confusion but faith. I don't get it but I trust you, I trust God. Um, what we don't see really in Luke, but you see really clearly in the other gospels is then, you know, Joseph, her, uh, her person she's engaged to is like, wait a second, you're pregnant and is going to divorce her quietly and then an angel appears to Joseph and Joseph trusts God as well. And that's the setup. So, okay, so we'll read back through these passages together. Let's go to the next one. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloth, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, with, uh, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Okay, let's go to the next slide. What we are talking about today is something that over the decades and the centuries has been called the Incarnation. This is God becoming man, God becoming flesh. In the first chapter of John, John says this, and he says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that word dwelt that we translate in the Greek is kind of like the the word picture is to pitch a tent. God came down, and for a season, he pitched his tent among us. And I want to start with an observation. As a Christian, if you, if you believe the Bible, here's what you believe. This is the hinge point in human history. This is the most significant event that ever has happened or ever will happen. And that from the very beginning, before there was a single person, before the earth even existed, that this was something that God knew he was going to do. And so we can know with a high degree of confidence that God was very deliberate about how he did it, right? This isn't thrown together. The details aren't coincidences. And what we're going to see is the very particular way that God shows up, the exact way that the incarnation happens, it is going to foreshadow exactly who Jesus is, why he came, and why it matters to us. Okay, so let's do it. Let's look at that. Everything about what we're about to see is deliberate. I'm going to start with a really simple question. It says, and they laid him in a manger. They show up. They get to Bethlehem. They're there because actually, ironically, not coincidentally, Joseph is in the line of David, which we know is going to be true of the Messiah. And there is no place to stay. Surprise, but not really. Is God surprised that if he sends Jesus at this point in time to Mary, that they're going to end up there and that there isn't going to be a place to stay? No, he's not. Why would God choose 
to make his entrance into the world in a barn. We can even take it a step further. Why is the birth announcement, why is the group of people that get the birth announcement a bunch of just common shepherds? Right? Jesus doesn't choose to enter the world in a castle somewhere. The birth announcement isn't made to the leading political figures or religious leaders of the day. In fact, if we look at the Old Testament up until this point, gosh, 90-something percent of the time that God talks to people, it's either a prophet or it's a priest, right? But, but that's not what's going on here. That's not who Mary is. That's not who Joseph is. That's not who these shepherds are. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, why? Why would God choose to do it that way. And we learn the first of two really shocking things about Jesus right off the bat. Let's go to the next one. That Jesus is not going to be the type of king that we expect. Everybody who looked forward to the Messiah expected a certain type of king, and Jesus is not going to be that guy. Listen later to something that Jesus says. He's with the disciples, and the disciples get into an argument, and they're having an argument about who, which of them is going to be the greatest, or remembered as the greatest, right? And, or which of them is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And, and here's what Jesus said to them. He says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The reason why Jesus is born in a barn, the reason why shepherds are the ones told, is because this is going to be a king that serves. This is going to be a humble king. This is going to be a king that is accessible. It is not a way in some throne room where you enter in and you have to bow and you have to do all the special things. He is going to be a different type of king. He's not going to be the type of king that you never see, you only know about. The type of king who all he does is collect taxes and asks you to do things and directs people around. Instead, he is going to be a king that comes and lives among the people, serves the people, and is full of humility. What do we learn about the type of relationship that God must want to have with us? Man, it, it creates a ton of hope if this is the person that created everything, doesn't it? That if we're finally able to kind of see fully behind the curtain and see who is back there and what they're like, and they are someone that says, I came to seek and serve those that are lost. I came to lay down my life for them. In fact, if you look at the story of the Bible and the gospel up until this point, it's that our sin separates us from God and we get to a point where there is nothing we can do to fix it. And the story of the Bible is that at that moment, God acts. God does something on our behalf. So that does give a tremendous amount of hope. So it's shocking, but there's a second thing that's shocking about this story that I don't want us to miss. In Matthew, we, we see that, uh, and, and this goes back to the Old Testament, they refer to the birth of Jesus and the one who is to come as Emmanuel. 
And Emmanuel translated means God with us. So how is God with us? And why does it matter so much that God is with us? Because the second most shocking thing, and maybe it's not even the second most shocking thing, maybe this is the most shocking thing, is that God would come and choose to live the human experience, right? I mean, heaven is infinitely more desirable than this. God intentionally and deliberately chooses to be inserted into a human body and to experience everything that comes with that. So, I heard the word relatable and I think that that's gonna be especially applicable to this. Let's go to the next slide. The reality is, and one of the reasons why it's shocking that God would do this is that life is hard, right? Like everybody is about to go through finals week, right? Like that's hard. It is hard that we get sick. It's hard that people die. Like I've been, uh, entrepreneurship's a big part of my life. It is hard to start businesses. It's hard to run businesses. It's often discouraging. It often feels uh, lonely. When I was first out of college, I went into full-time ministry. I had to raise my support. I had to raise my salary. That was hard. There have been times when I've felt discouraged or alone or rejected. We all have, right? I mean, life is not easy. It's hard. And it's easy to picture God as kind of above the fray and removed from all of that. And the incarnation, Emmanuel, is a story of how God refuses to be above the fray. And how God so deeply wants to relate with us that he takes on flesh. Let's go to the next slide. So what are some examples? What I want you to hear, what I want you to see today, is that Jesus gets you and the experiences of your life at a level that you probably have never fully appreciated. It's hard for me to fully appreciate it. Because all of the different challenges and difficulties that you and I will inevitably face in our life, we can directly point to scripture and say, so did he. Have you experienced loneliness? Jesus experiences that. There's a point in the Garden of Gethsemane where even the disciples can't even stay awake and pray with him when he knows he's about to just get the snot beat out of him and have to go to the cross for you and I. Have you experienced frustration? We see Jesus walk into Jerusalem and just be like, I so badly want to gather you to myself and just hug you, but you will not allow me to. He came to those things that he created and they rejected him. That is frustrating right? Have you experienced betrayal? So is he. Judas didn't consider 40 pieces of silver worth more than him. Have you, have you experienced exhaustion? He constantly has people crowding around him. His days are full because the world was full of people that wanted to gawk at him and people that wanted him to heal them. He had days where they ended in utter exhaustion, where it was almost impossible for him to find places to rest. Have you experienced ridicule? 
There's a point in the Passion Week where they put a crown of thorns on his head to mock the idea that he is a king, right? Have you experienced discrimination? Jesus experiences that. They, they discriminate against him because he's from some little podunk town that nothing good should come out of. The Romans treat him poorly because he's Jewish, that Jesus is not, he's not unaccustomed to discrimination. His words are constantly twisted and misrepresented. Have you ever felt like something you said or something you did got interpreted the worst way possible? You can relate. Have you ever felt misunderstood? Have you ever been deserted? There's this whole conversation with Peter where he tells Peter, you're going to desert me. And Peter's like, there is no way. And then within 12 hours, Peter deserts him. He's rejected. He's unfairly treated. Not only that, just pain. Physical pain can be a part of our life. The injury that won't go away, the diagnosis, that's, especially as a college student, isn't any fun. Well, Jesus is accustomed to all of those things. Whatever you experience, know this. Know that God cares enough that he has experienced it too. The absolutely outrageous idea of the incarnation is that it is not enough for God to intellectually understand what his children goes through, but he insists on going through it himself so that he can, in every way, relate and empathize and sympathize with you. That's the type of relationship he wants to have with you. Go to the next slide. But not only that, Jesus also takes on the pain and punishment for our sin. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus at the cross, what he does, he lived his life where he did not commit sin, but then at the cross, he takes on all of the soul-level pain of sin. So, all of us in this room have experienced the inner pain that our sin creates. Jesus is not only unaware of that, he's not only aloof, not aloof from that, but the, the pain that you've personally experienced from your sin, he has experienced that exact pain for that exact sin. That is the story that the Bible tells, and that is an outrageous story. It is outrageous to believe that there is a God that loves you enough that that would be true. And let us never forget that that's outrageous. But just because it's outrageous doesn't mean it's not true. Let's go to the next slide. I want to summarize it with this because this is where Scripture points us. In Hebrews 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The only way that we can respond to the outrageousness of Luke 2 
is to lean in and to come before God and to connect with him, to ask him for the mercy and grace we need in our life, to trust him with our lives, to connect with him because he gets you in a way that no other person even will ever be able to get you. That this is the only natural response. And it's the reason why Jesus is the priest that we've always wanted because he is the priest that gets us fully. And it's not a coincidence. It's not by accident. It's by design. He did not take the easy way. There are a lot of ways that God could have provided salvation, I am sure. And yet the one that he chooses is the one that makes it the most possible for us to connect with him relationally. When we talk about what God wants with us is a personal relationship, the fingerprint of that is clearly there from the very first moments that Jesus comes on the scene. Okay, a couple of questions to discuss in our groups. Birth of Jesus is shocking in two ways, that he is gonna be a servant king and that he can empathize with us in every way. Which of those two encourages you the most today? And then secondly, how will you more deeply, impact, more deeply embrace those truths in your relationship with God? How would, how would actually taking a fresh look at those things and embracing them more fully change the way that you relate with God? 